All right, we are back in Romans this week, and we took a break from Romans for four weeks and did a parenting series called It's Just a Phase. And so if you came here during that time, uh, it was a great time to come, and we wanted to capitalize on school being back in session and, and just our responsibility as parents as we're moving into a new school year, a new phase, to make sure that we're passing on the faith uh, to the next generation, and that's our responsibility. We looked at that in Deuteronomy. And then today, we're going back into Romans because before that series, we've taught through Romans chapter one through chapter eight for the last several, several months. In fact, this is like the 26th message uh, of that series. And so we're jumping back in and we're gonna start in Romans chapter nine. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Romans chapter nine. We're gonna hang there today. Uh, I had to shorten some of the verses today. So we're just gonna do nine verses because I just realized I talk a lot. And so I cut off uh, a couple verses. We'll push it to next week. But for the next seven uh, or so weeks, we're gonna look at chapters nine, 10, and 11 of Romans in the Bible. And so again, if you're new, I wanna invite you to come back. We just teach through the scriptures to, to, to learn what it has for us. But I just wanna kind of not, not warn you because I feel like I'm warning you of something bad, but just, um, just acknowledge the fact that Romans 9, 10, and 11 are some pretty deep chapters in the Bible, some pretty heavy stuff. And, and I'm not a theologian by any means, I'm just a pastor. And so I'm gonna do my best to explain some pretty deep theological things over the next few weeks. And, and to be straight with you, a lot of people, when they're reading the book of Romans, they love chapters one through eight, they love chapters 12 through 16, and they just skip over chapters nine, 10, 11. They just don't even wanna get into it, and there's a lot of debate about what it means, a lot of confusion about it. In fact, it took me years and years and years of studying and listening to other pastors I respect to really do my best to get a grasp on this, and I don't think I have a full grasp on it yet, but I, I do feel like I can teach it in a way that honors what was said there, and so we're gonna look at it over the next few weeks, and so I just wanna bring your attention to that. I'm gonna pro approach it humbly as I can, but it's gonna, it's gonna require some thinking. We're gonna talk about some subjects that, that are here over the next few weeks because we need to talk about them because I don't know if you realize this, but Romans 9, 10, 11 is in the Bible. So we gotta talk about it, right? But it's, it's not one of those things, again, I'm not, it's not like I'm scared to do I'm excited to do it because I think if we'll think about it, if we'll, if we'll really engage over the next few weeks, and I know people are traveling and stuff, and that's fine, but if we'll engage in what these chapters say, I, I think you can actually grow to love these chapters like I have. And so I'm so excited to teach them to you because I think even though there's some deep stuff in there, Deep stuff is fun, all right? It's, you got a lot of room to swim around in, and I'm, I'm big, so I need room. And so I, I, I really hope as a church over the next seven weeks or so that we can not only learn a lot, but it grows our faith a lot, and it grows our, our confidence in who God is a lot. And so we're gonna tackle the verse, first nine verses of chapter nine today, and then we'll just go through for the next several weeks till we get to the end of chapter 11. So again, if you got a Bible, Romans chapter nine, starting in verse one, it says this. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit, this is Paul speaking, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh." Now, let's stop and, and chat here for a little bit. This is the Apostle Paul writing uh, what's been argued, and I've said this before, the greatest letter that's ever been written. 
And, and the reason why it's the greatest letter that's ever been written is because just the way un, Paul unpacks the truths all the way through. And when he does it, he anticipates people's objections along the way. And so he's, he's writing it in such a way where he understands, he's thinking through, okay, what are they going to think when I say this? And so he's just come off of eight chapters of really the gospel, like really explain, you want to know what the gospel is, read Romans one through eight. And so he's just been talking about all the things that God has done to save us, all the activity of God. And, and Romans chapter eight is called the greatest chapter in the Bible because it just crescendos into this, this Paul just saying, man, now in Christ, there's no condemnation, right? For, for those of us who are in Christ and, and he just lays it out and just, I mean, just amazing. And, and now Paul's kind of looking back and he's saying, listen, everything that I've told you, I've told you because this is true. It's, it's in Christ and I'm not lying about it. But as a result of that, there's some things that Paul has said throughout Romans so far that he's going to deal with in Romans 9, 10, 11, primarily what about the Jewish people who in the Old Testament were chosen by God for specific purposes, but now don't believe in Jesus. And so Paul is in his mind, and he addressed this some at the end of chapter two when he talked about Jewish people and what advantage is it to being Jewish. And so he's made the case in the first eight chapters that, listen, nobody has a leg up, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need Jesus. And so the natural kind of thought process is, well, okay, what about Israel? What about the people in the Old Testament that God chose for a specific person? What about them? And so for these three chapters, that's the primary focus of what Paul's going to address. And he starts off by saying his attitude towards his fellow people. Now you have to remember, if you don't know the story of Paul, he used to be a dude named Saul. He grew up as a Jewish man, and he was being groomed to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. Most theologians believe by age 21, he would have had two PhD degrees. Homeboy was that smart. He was a, literally what he called himself. He was zealous, a Pharisee of Pharisees. This dude, you, you didn't get much smarter than him. You didn't get much more zealous than him to the point that he was so zealous about his Jewish faith that he was going around and killing Christians who were talking against it. And so he is out to do that, and then Jesus meets him, meets him on a road, literally blinds him, turns him around, changes his name from Saul to Paul. Now he's evangelizing for the very thing that he was trying to shut down. And so naturally, Paul says, listen, I come from the Jewish people. They are my brothers and sisters, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I am from them. I'm just like them. And he is explaining how, before he gets into the doctrines of what's going on here, he's explaining his heart, heart posture towards them. And this is what's so striking to me. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish about my people who don't know Christ. This is so important for the church to hear because if we're not careful as believers we can start to have this smugness about ourselves that we got Jesus and you don't. 
that, that we know and we got it. And, and if we're honest, this is, I know it's church, right? But if, if we're honest, we actually have this kind of mantra in ourselves that the problem with the rest of the world is they're not enough like us. You know how you think about other people? Like you look at your circumstances and things are going good and you look at other people's circumstances and they're not going good and like, well, I told you so. If you were just kind of more like me, then you wouldn't have the problems that you have. And that's kind of the unintentional message sometimes that we can give as Christians. Like the problem with the world, it's not that they don't know Jesus, but they don't, they're not, they don't look like us. They don't do what we do. But that is not Paul's heart, his posture. And it's interesting to me, really amazing to me, that he uses the words that he uses here. Great sorrow, unceasing anguish. Those two words mean intense anxiety and deep emotional pain. Now, we understand a lot more now in the 21st century about anxiety and emotions because we understand the brain a lot more and, and just what happens in the brain and the chemicals that go on there. And so there are definitely people that are more predisposed just by their wiring to emotional things or to ang uh, anxiousness or, or different things like that because it's a chemical thing. And then there's some of us just because of our circumstances, it's a pr produced a lot of that. And so I feel like we've got a good context for this now in a way that even people back then didn't. But, but a couple things I wanna point out here. One is you have the person who has been called arguably the greatest theologian who ever lived is dealing with deep emotional stuff. So apparently it's okay to love God and deal with that. It's okay to, to love Jesus, but have deep emotional, intense anxiety. But a second thing that I want to point out too is his anxiety is not so much, and I think this is the key difference about his own circumstances, but about the circumstances of others. I would say the only problem a lot of time in our culture, when we talk about these things, it's all just ourself. But Paul is saying here, no, no, no. I have deep anxiety and deep emotional pain, but it's not about me. It's about them. And so if we let it, our intense emotional, you know, the gravity that we feel about life, if we let it, it can actually be a benefit to us because it can make us compassionate to others. And that's what Paul does. And I just want to point this out because, again, this is not, a lot of times, the posture that the church takes towards the world. This is not the posture, a lot of times, that our churches, especially here in America and in the West, have not taken for the world. Here's Paul saying, listen, I'm a believer. I've trusted Christ because of what Christ did for me. And all I have now is the anxiety of those that I love who haven't. He is deeply burdened by those who don't know Jesus. And I would just like to submit to us as a church, we should too. We too need to feel the deep emotional intense anxiety that other people are hopeless without Christ. You know, here in our Canton community in Cherokee County, we've been dealing with really a, a community crisis this last week. It happened in our local, one of our local high schools here. And as a church, we've just been involved with that and, and, and grateful that the administration has given us the ability and, and, and just to really love on our community. But one of the things that has reminded me, I don't think it's any accident that I'm preaching this versus this weekend, is that there are a lot of people out there without hope. There are so many people out there who don't have the hope that we sing about. 
And the problem is not just that they don't have the hope. The problem is we aren't burdened about the fact that they don't have it. That's the real issue for us as believers. If you're a believer in the church today, because if we're straight, so often we don't even think about the world around us and what they're dealing with because we're in our own world. And for sure, we're not willing to sacrifice for it. But did you hear what Paul said? This deep emotional anguish that he has, he said this, this is crazy. He says an inaccurate theological statement, not because he believes it, but because he's using it to make a point. He said, I would be cut off from Christ for them. Here's what Paul just said. I'll trade in heaven if I could for them to get Christ. I'll trade, I'll cut myself off from Christ if I could bring them in. Now, Paul knows that that's impossible because any believer cannot be cut off from Christ. It's not possible. You cannot lose your salvation because our salvation isn't based upon what we do. It's based upon what Christ did. And Jesus himself said, those the father gives me, they're in my hand and no one can snatch them out. Yes and amen. Why? Because, and you're going to see this over the next few weeks, it was a work of God. So Paul knows he can't cut himself off. Paul knows he can't trade places, but he has the heart of a pastor just like Moses did. You can write this down as a reference in Exodus 32, 32, where Moses is talking to God and he says, forgive their sins. And if you can't blot me out for them, this is exactly what Jesus did. Only Jesus could do this. Paul knows he can't do this, but here's the point I want you to hear. Paul is willing to give up an eternity with Christ for others to know Christ. Most, most church people I know aren't even willing enough to give up their seat on a pew. They're not even willing to give up their parking spot for someone to know Christ. For sure not willing to give up our preferences. Come on, let me step on your toes a little bit more. Here's what I want you to hear me say. As a church, we can never be content with the fact of, oh, look, the seats are full. Jasper, we got a new campus going. People are coming. Look at Ken, this is great. Man, this is awesome. We can never get comfortable about our own preferences and our seats and where we park and us being elevated to the point where we forget there's a lost and dying world who doesn't know Jesus. And here's what I'm trying to get us to see. This is the heart of Paul. He's saying, listen, I would trade in heaven for them. But so often as a church, we're just not willing to make that kind of sacrifice. Here's the good news. Jesus isn't asking you to trade in heaven. He's just asking you to trade in your earthly treasures. That's the point. And this is when we're a large church and we make no bones about that. But I want you to understand something. We didn't set out to be a large church. And yeah, we've got multiple locations, multiple services, thousands of people coming. And people will say, well, pastor, when is, when is big, big enough? And I always loving respond back. It ain't about a big church, man. It's about a small hell. You need to know that. We do what we do to depopulate hell because people are headed there and we care about them. It's not about our church. This is not about Revolution Church. Yeah, we're going to plant campuses. That's part of the vision that God has given us. Yes, we're going to plant churches, but I could care less if their name is Revolution Church as long as they have the mission of loving Jesus and growing people because that's what Jesus told us to do. He gave us the Great Commission, didn't he? 
But so many times we read the Great Commission and we don't personalize it with the idea of you and I will be judged by that. And Jesus is saying, that's the last thing I told you. Go make disciples of all nations. Where'd you go and what'd you do? He said, well, I couldn't do it, Lord. I was scared. He said, well, that, actually, the last thing I told you was in Acts 1.8. I'm going to give you power to do it. And here's what you need to know. You don't need to pray about if you should do it. You don't need to pray about Matthew 28. You do need to pray in Acts 1 about receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I'm all good us holding a prayer meeting about re receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm good with that. I'm just not good with praying whether or not we should go tell people about Jesus. You ain't got to pray about that, man. I mean, like before you like close your eyes. Yes. <laughs> Why? I just want to, this is not even the whole sermon. I just want to point out that this is Paul's attitude. This is Paul's posture towards those who don't know Christ. It wasn't one of retreat. It was one of advance. And, and I just want you to let you know, you're a part of a church. I mean, come on, our name's revolution. And we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're going to get it wrong. And listen, we've made plenty of mistakes. But we just celebrated our 15-year anniversary last Sunday. For those of you who came, it's incredible. And one thing has been true for all 15 years, the heart to go after those who don't know Christ. And that won't change. And we're going to try some stuff, and it may not work. We're going to reach out. It may not work. But we will never be found not trying. So that's our heart. That's the church you're a part of. You're a part of a revolution, man. So come on, get busy. And I'm just giving you a biblical basis for this. This is, I mean, again, Paul's saying, I would give up Christ for that. Next two verses. He says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, that's important, from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. I love Paul because he amens his own stuff. <laughs> I just love that, man. And I, if you've been around here long enough, uh, every time we go to Africa, because we're planting churches in Africa, uh, every time we go and, and, and you're just with the African people, they're just so much more expressive than Western people. And I'm not saying they're good and we're bad. I'm just saying it's, it's really awesome because they respond. And, and so I, every time I come back, I'm like, hey, you guys got to respond like this. They say, eh, and amen. And, and you're learning, you're getting better. This is awesome, man. I want to encourage that. But if you don't do it, I'm going to do it myself. Because Paul does it. It's just biblical, right? And, and the word amen means truly, or it is true. It's the exact same word. We just brought it over into English. It's the exact same word that Jesus would say when he would speak to somebody, except he would say it on the front end. He would say, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly is just the word amen. So Jesus is saying, amen, amen. He's the only dude that could amen it before he said it. <laughs> I can't do that. Paul couldn't do that, but we can amen it after we said it. Because what we say is from Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. I'm saying this in Christ, and it's, by the Holy Spirit. My conscience is clear. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And he's talking about those, again, Old Testament Jewish believers, the Jewish nation who had all this. He says they had the law, they had adoption, 
They had the glory. They had the covenants. They had the worship. They had the promises. They had the patriarchs. They had all of this. If there is anybody who should have seen that Jesus was the Christ, it should have been them. They missed it. And we'll get into that over the next few weeks when he talks about this. But here's the one thing that I want you to understand. The Bible here is talking about all the things that God did for the Jewish people. He says, belongs to them adoption. What is that? When God called Abram, who, and I'll get into this in a little bit, a 75-year-old moon worshiper who couldn't have kids, God chose the one dude who couldn't give himself a, a kid, which the gospel is not God helps those who helps themselves. It is God helps those who got no shot of helping themselves. And so he adopted him and then through him makes a whole new family. And then in that was glory. They saw the glory of God on multiple occasions and they had the covenants that God made with them. They had the promises that God gave them. They had the law. They had all this. If anybody could have seen or should have known that God was God and when Christ showed up that that was God, it should have been the Jewish people. And again, we'll get into that in the next few weeks as to why that's not the case. But there's one thing that he says here that's so important, and I think he chose the preposition on purpose. He doesn't mince words. He says, all those belong to them, but Christ doesn't belong just to them. He says, all that belongs to them, but from them, from their race is the Christ. Here's the point that Paul's going to make. Yes, Jesus was Jewish. No doubt about it. His name is Yeshua. You don't even say Jesus in his original name. It's the same word as Joshua. You tell that to English people, they're like, like, he was Hebrew. He was from their race. But don't misunderstand the Bible. He's not just for their race. He's from their race, yes, and that's why we love Israel. But he's not just for their race. He says it. He's from their race, is the Christ who is God over all. That is saying he is over all races. Church, hear me. Not only do we need to have a heart for the lost, but we need to understand God's going to save people that don't look like us. God's going to save people that don't have backgrounds like us. And this ain't a one race thing. This is an all race thing. You say, well, how do you know that, pastor? Read the end of the book. <laughs> Not just Romans, but Revelation. When John has this vision and he looks up and he sees heaven and he sees the lamb and he sees the throne of the lamb and then he says, I look below that and I saw people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And those nations are not representative of the geopolitical nations that we have now. It is a reference to every ethnic group with their own languages. Every race. And listen, this isn't the whole point of the sermon, but it needs to be said here is this. If you have a problem with other races knowing Jesus, you got a problem with Jesus. You got to have a problem with heaven. And as a church, we should do everything that we, should, we can possibly do to have every race represented as the people of God. Right? I mean, that's just the... That's, it's, it's, so it's not a one... And every culture and every time period has to deal with this. Racism didn't just start in America. It goes all the way back. Because the biblical idea is not what we would think today. It was Jews and Gentiles. 
And, and that's what Paul is going to deal with. But, but here's what he's saying. Listen, the Jews don't have a leg up. They're sinners just like Gentiles are. He came from that race, but he didn't come just for that race. Now, let's look at verse six. He's going to speak about, specifically now, Israel. He says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, let's stop and chat here for a second because this verse right here is the key to understanding the next or these three chapters. The title of today's message is this, not all Israel is Israel. See, the Bible talks about groups or nations, but we can forget that those all came out of individuals. Israel, before it was a nation, it was a person. Abram changed to Abraham, had Isaac. That's what he's referencing here. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. We'll talk about this next week. And Jacob, his name was turned to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. When they moved into the promised land, then they were allotted land and they became a nation. But don't miss it. It wasn't about the nations. It was about primarily this family. And here's where so many people get things wrong. And this is, it's almost like there's a God. Again, I say this often, and I'm not saying there's not, there is. And here's why. We just finished a four-week parenting series, and now here we're talking about parenting again in Romans 9, where God is saying, listen, just because someone is a physical descendant of someone who has faith, it does not guarantee their salvation. Faith is passed down person to person, but it is not passed down flesh to flesh. Now, let me give you an example. I'm a pastor. I'm a believer. I got two kids. It's my responsibility to pass down faith onto my two kids, but I have to do it in such a way that they understand their personal responsibility because they don't get out of, get a, they don't get a, get out of jail free card because pastor Jason's their dad. They stand before Jesus. Why should I let you in? Oh, Pastor Jason's my dad. <laughs> Who's that joker? No, no, what did you do with Jesus? I don't care who your daddy is. What did you do with Jesus? And see, this was the primary problem. It still remains one of the primary problems with Israel. They thought wrongly that simply because God had chosen their father and made them into a nation that they were good. How do we know this? You can write this down as a reference. John chapter eight. I'll just give you a quick commentary on it. Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees and he tells them, if you know me, you'll be set free. Know my word, you'll be set free. And they respond with, we're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone 400 years in Egypt. They forgot that part. He says, no, you're, someone is a slave. If you're a slave to sin, you're a slave. And then they say, we're not sinners. We are children of Abraham. And Jesus, I mean, this is what I love. He's like, listen, you don't think I know you're descendants of Abraham? I know you're descendants of Abraham, but he's not your father. God is not your father because if God was, with your, God was your father, then you would believe me. You're doing the works of your father, the devil. 
You want to know why they killed him? Because he said stuff like that. Literally. That's why I love Jesus, because he goes further. He claimed to be God. And that's when they took up stones to try to kill him. And just go read the end of chapter eight. And Jesus just hit himself. That boy's a ninja, man. I'm telling you, like, he's just amazing. But what was he saying to them? I don't care you're a descendant of Israel. God can raise up stones to be descendants of Israel. It ain't about flesh, man. It ain't about who your dad is. It's about whether you have God as your father. And if you have God as your father, then that is going to be because you have the faith of father Abraham, not flesh. Look at the next verse. He says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. See, faith is not passed down through physical means. Because here's the history of Abram. Isaac wasn't his first son, was he? No, Ishmael was. And why? Because Sarah was doubting faith. I mean, again, God chose a 75-year-old moon worshiper who couldn't have, his wife couldn't have kids to be the father of a new nation. You say, why in the world would God choose that? So that Abraham would never doubt how he got a kid. So again, God doesn't choose. If you're feeling pretty good about yourself, mm-mm. God didn't choose you because you had a lot to offer him. Listen, if this were a middle school sports game, you are last. But that's right where you want to be because the Bible says the last shall be first. If I ever start another church, it's going to be called Last Baptist Church. And the tagline is going to be the last shall be first. Come on, somebody. That's funny. I'm not knocking First Baptist Churches. I'm just saying Why in the world would God choose him? Because he couldn't do it for himself. And about 15, 20 years in, they're struggling a little bit. And Sarah comes to Abram and he says, she says, I got a plan. Why don't you take my servant and have a kid with her? And Abram being just like any other flesh and blood man was like, okay, sure. That's what you say. Yeah. I mean, come on, dudes. Let's be honest. The Bible's full of this stuff. Men ain't changed in thousands of years. What should Abram had said? No. God said he's going to give me a child through you. But he didn't because he's a man. And ladies, before you knock men, mm-hmm. we'd still be in the garden if it wasn't for you. Just kidding. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but you know the point of that? You ever taken something in your own hands and made it worse? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's what happened. They, they try to do what God said without God. And that didn't really work well. We're still facing the consequences of it to this day. And so there were other physical descendants. And God says, it's not about being a physical descendant of 
Abraham, because Ishmael and his whole line, and even the line of Isaac, ain't everybody Israel. You got Esau. I mean, every time it breaks off. And so hear me. Just because you come from a certain family and have a certain status doesn't mean anything. And so people that are Jewish, that are descendants of Abraham, does not mean they are saved. Again, we'll get into this in the next few weeks, but let me say this in a positive way too. Some of us, you may have come from a good godly line, and that doesn't guarantee salvation, but that doesn't mean that it's bad to come from a godly line, because again, it's about personal individual responsibility. But a lot of us didn't come from good godly lines. And so let me say it this way too. Just like being from a good family doesn't get you in, being from a bad family doesn't keep you out. Again, if you read the Bible, in Matthew chapter one, a lot of us have read this on our Bible reading plans, never to get all the way through it, right? And you read in Matthew chapter one, the genealogy, and it's like from this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, and we just skip over it. But those people are there for a reason. And you go back and look at their stories and people are like, I can't be like people from the Bible. Have you read the people in the Bible? <laughs> Jesus is the only one that didn't mess it up. Everybody else? Like you go read the lineage in Matthew chapter one. It's full of liars, drunks, murderers, prostitutes, swindlers. Jacob's name's turned to, to Israel means deceiver. And the Bible, see, Matthew wrote primarily to a Jewish audience to remind them of their lineage, to say, listen, this is the line that the Messiah came from, and don't miss this. Why did he come from all those people? Because he came for all those people. That's the point. So just because you come from a bad family and you think there's no way that Christ could save me, if you knew my story, Read the Bible. He didn't save anybody who came from a good family. I mean, Adam and Eve, they messed it up for all of us. So all, and their kids, one killed the other. I mean, that is where we all came from. And, and so you think, man, I didn't come from a good family. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. You don't know what I did. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your mama did, what your daddy did, what your family did. None of that matters. What matters is you having faith in Christ. And, and what's going to lead you to faith in Christ is you realize without Christ, you got nothing. That's the hope that we have. And again, this is why I was, was harping so much earlier to say as the church, we send undue messages to people when they come that if they're not like us, then they can't be with us. And we forget who us is. Let me ask you, anybody here want just one day of your thoughts scrolling on these screens? Anybody? Me either. Because if you knew my thoughts, I would be fired. That doesn't mean like come ask me to see whether or not I should be fired because use without sin, throw the first stone, all right? But, but it's what I'm saying is Jesus came from that line for that line. 
That's what Paul's saying. It was never about this family being better than everybody else. It was about this family having faith that God was better. That's the point. How do I know this? You, you can flip there if you want, but it's on the screen. Genesis 3, verse 7 through 9. Same guy, Paul, says it this way. And we're almost done. He says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Gentile just means non-Jewish, which would be not a descendant of Abraham, physically speaking. But God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. You want to know when God said that to Abram? After he had taken it in his own hands. And he says, Abram, I gave you a promise. And I said, I'll give you a son. And then he says this, look up. Look up, boy. That's what God says to all of us. Look up. See those stars? You're going to have as many kids as that. But those stars aren't representative of people who just came from you in a descendancy. Because that represents nations right there, bro. That represents billions and billions of people throughout human history who are going to be saved from the Messiah that's going to come from your son. Look up. And the Bible says in that moment, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So the real children of Abraham, and if you grew up going to Sunday school, we sang this song, Father Abraham had many sons, I am one of them, and so are you. To which most people didn't even realize that if I'm Jewish, then I'm not, but in Christ, then I am, right? <laughs> Don't even get it. But the, but the song is true. I am a son of Abraham if I have Abraham's faith, not Abraham's flesh, because that don't matter. Paul said it in Romans 2, 28 and 29. He says, listen, circumcision is not outward. It's inward, always has been. And that's when it started. So it's not about this outward physical thing. It's about an inward spiritual disposition where your heart has been changed. And then verse nine, Galatians three says this. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So again, thinking back to our family and the parenting conversation we just had over the last few weeks, as, as a parent, it's our job to make sure that our kids know what we're passing on to them is faith but it's on them. They will give a personal account themselves. But the good news is this. There is no good and bad lines or good and bad people. There's Christ and the rest of us. But Paul didn't have to cut himself off because Christ did. Christ was accursed. Christ was cut off from the Father by giving his life. So as much as Paul wanted to do it, Christ actually did it. And so again, I don't know your story. But being good ain't gonna do nothing for you. 
being a part of a certain family ain't gonna keep you in, but being from a bad one ain't gonna keep you out. What matters is, have you come to, because of your burdens and anxiety, Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. We come to Christ and then that's the hope. And that's what I'm so burdened by. Again, just this events of this last week as a pastor, I'm so burdened that people walk around every day without the hope that I have. Man, death comes for us all. And, and I'm just being straight with you. I have done enough funerals to understand now. I don't know how you make it without Christ. If this is all there is, but man, know that God came from that line for that line. Yes, Christ is from the Jews, but he is for you today. So if you don't have that hope, man, you can have it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace. There is not a one of us, every Bible character included, that deserve or are owed anything. But yet, you came and gave us everything. God, thank you for not only saving Abraham when you did by him believing in you, but you did it because Christ was going to pay the price for his unfaithfulness. So people in the Old Testament are saved just like people in the New Testament and just like us today by trusting in Christ. And so God, I pray if there's anybody here or listening or watching that doesn't have the hope of Christ, that right now you would open their eyes to see the truth about who he is and save them. Nobody looking around or talking again as we close, if, if you're ready to be honest today and you're ready to quit playing games, we're ready to quit playing games with you. But we ain't a church that plays many games. Listen, we're all gonna die. Without Christ, there's no hope. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, Christ came back from the dead and he's alive today. If he hadn't have done that, I wouldn't believe it either. But I'm basing my faith on the fact of Christ. And if you'll do that today, man, you can have faith and be saved and have hope and knowing this is not all there is. So right there where you are, if you wanna trust Christ, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray Romans 10, 9 and 10, and we'll get into this the next few weeks. It says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So if that's you, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and you simply can just pray with me, not out loud, and it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you so much for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me Forgive me. In faith, I'm trusting Christ. 
Thank you so much for loving me. Now again, nobody looking around or talking, if you just prayed that for the first time with me, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Again, don't be ashamed, man. We're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna ask you to come down front. We just wanna give you a gift. So if you wouldn't mind just lifting your hand up, thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when you do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us who are in Christ, I'm just praying that God would continue to give us a burden like Paul did, where we're willing to sacrifice and give up maybe our seat, our parking spot, or our treasures for the sake of others knowing Christ. Because there is no greater investment that we can make with our time and with our talents and with our treasures into the kingdom of God. And so let's just constantly be a church that is not trying to get bigger, but just a, a church that's trying to tell more people about Jesus so that hell is smaller. And if you don't have that burden, ask God for it. Say, God, remind me, you didn't save me because I was good. Help me have compassion for those who don't know you. Father, thank you, not only for the gospel and the good news that it is, but for the communities of faith that are built around it called churches. A church is the greatest thing going on the planet because we get an opportunity to come together and sing and celebrate and also go out and be sent to tell other people. But it's hard, God. It's tough living in this crazy world. But help us to always be sensitive and aware to the burdens that people are carrying and help us be burdened for them. Help us to be a light in the darkness, to constantly fulfill our mission by the grace that you give us to go and make disciples. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.